Heavenly Father, can we just give this day to you? We thank you for this time we can spend with you and in your word and together in fellowship. Lord, I just ask that you would reveal yourself to us this morning as we study your word together. And uh, just pray for the children here today that they will uh, just get a glimpse of you as well in their little sermon this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys may be seated. Uh, we have a kids message for any of the kids here. They can come up to the stage and... Uh, Kelly is going to teach them a little bit about uh, what we're talking about this morning in the book of Jonah. So instead of going that way, he went that way and he got on a ship. 
and things happen. I'm sure Pastor Matt's going to tell us about that. But what I want you to understand is when we hide, God sees us all the time. He loves us so much. We see Him. He sees us no matter what's going on in our lives or what we're hiding in our lives. He sees us. Because you remember when you looked out in the audience there? Did you see them? Yeah. They didn't really hide very well. And that's the way God looks at us. He sees us no matter where we are. His love for us is amazing. So I said, I would like yes to he goes up there and he's looking down. Where else does he live? Somewhere around here. In our heart, right? So that's why he knows where we are. So I got a little refrigerator magnet that says, you can't play hide and seek with God who loves you. So you need to run to God, okay? Because he's running after you. There he goes. You'll be because he would be very fun because he knows where you are all the time. <laughs> so these fishies represent the big fish, but also God loves you to pieces. So go in peace today with your pieces of fishy. You are. Let's say a quick prayer, you guys. Okay? Ready? Let's hold our hand. Okay. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for these children, Lord, and I just pray that their hearts would be open to you and understand how mighty and powerful you are and the love that you have for each one of these kids. Even if they try to run, you will find them. In Jesus' name, we all said, Amen. Okay, who didn't get some fishies? All right, you guys, back to your mom, daddy, grandma, and grandpas. There's a crunch fishy up here. Alright, thank you guys. What a <laughs> Thank you, Kelly. Reminded me, I uh, I remember when I was younger, my sister wanted to play hide and seek. So she said, I said, oh, she says, you go hide first. So I found this. We, my parents had this walk-in closet, and you could climb up, like on top where they had all the storage, and I hid behind, like this thing. I was like, she's never gonna find me in here. So I'm up there for like 30 minutes. I'm like, okay, like. I haven't even heard her come in the room yet. So I finally, I just give up. I go out. She's like watching TV. You know, and I was like, she, so she, you know, and you'd think she was the older one. No, she's five years younger than me, and she was always smarter than me. She was like, yeah, let's do this, and I'll do it, and then she'd just go off and do something else. And, uh, and that wasn't the only time it happened, actually. She did it a couple of times. Um, so it took me a while to catch on, but I caught on. So take that, Kelly. I caught on. <laughs> anyway... Um, so we are uh, going to start a new sermon series uh, through the Minor Prophets. And all of you are like, why did I come to church today? We're doing the Minor Prophets. Uh, <laughs> there's actually 12 Minor Prophets. These are actual books in your Bible. Uh, I was going to start with the book of Hosea, but it's Kid, it's kid City or, or Family Sunday. So uh, if you're wondering why I didn't do Hosea this morning, just look at the first few verses in Hosea and you'll understand why. Uh, you'd have some fun questions from your kids this morning. Um, <laughs> but uh, I thought Jonah would be a great one to start with. It's a little different. 
different uh, than the rest of the uh, prophetic books because it does not consist of a connected prophetic message that talks about the future kingdom of God. So in, in essence, it's a little bit different. It's also told a little bit different or um, written differently than the rest of the prophet books of the Bible. It's more of a study of a man in history sent uh, on a specific mission to a city that is rooted in sin. Uh, in a sense, it's really more biographical in its reading than it is prophetic when we compare it side by side with the other uh, prophetic books of the Bible. The story of Jonah, it's, it's really well known. It's about a large fish swallowing a man. You know, that would make the headlines <laughs> in, uh, in our world today, right? And a guy gets swallowed by fish. He shows up three days later, uh, you know, in some different coastal uh, area in the world. Uh, but the message is really much greater than just that story. The story is about a man who tried to really run from God, as, as Kelly was talking about with the kids. And I often wonder, you know, Jonah had to write the story down uh, afterwards, after he'd done all these things and God called him to Nineveh and he came back. And, you know, I wonder if he really began to write, you know, and I ran, I ran so far away. I ran all night and day, I couldn't get away. Uh, and everyone's like, what is that? It's the Flock of Seagulls song from the 80s. Um, but, uh, you know, God was like, no, we're going to save that for the 1980s. We're not ready for that song yet. Um, <laughs> I don't think we're still ready for that song yet. Uh, <laughs> But that, yeah, I have a weird mind. I know when I was reading the book of Jonah, that song just kept going in my mind. I'm like, gosh darn it. Why are we doing Jonah? So I've had that song. You're welcome. I hope it's stuck in your head too. It's been stuck in my head all week. Um, and I was going to do my hair like the lead singer in Flock of Seagulls, but it's not long enough. Um, and you guys probably wouldn't come here anymore if you saw that. So uh, with that said, let's continue on. Uh, there's a question that I really feel is important before we dive into the book of Jonah, no pun intended. Uh, to the text this morning. I really didn't have no pun intended there. That was kind of weird. Uh, but we should interpret, but how should we interpret Jonah? That's really the question I want to ask this morning before we, before we dig in, is how should we interpret Jonah? Um, as scholar Jay Sklar points out, he says, throughout the centuries, the most common approach to Jonah was to read it as an historical account. In more recent times, however, many have read Jonah as a parable, a story that is not true, but is meant to convey a certain point. The second approach would not take away from the lessons that the book is teaching. It's very interesting that there's differing views on the book of Jonah. Uh, Jesus often taught in parables, and he expected his hearers to learn and apply the truth that the parables conveyed. But the question is, is a parable the best or even the accurate or correct approach to the book of Jonah? Those in favor of this approach tend to argue really three things. Number one, Jonah has an improbable number of miracles. Number two, the literary artistry of Jonah with all its hyperbole, irony, and wordplay is more suggestive of a parable than an historical account. And number three, various inaccuracies they claim in the book suggest a distance from historical realities. Now with that said, the response to these three arguments, there are responses to each of these three arguments and it can be noted as number one, it is not clear by what standard is being used when the number of miracles is labeled improbable, right? We're reading a story uh, set in the book of the Bible about a God who is a God of miracles. From the very beginning of time to the very end of time, we see miracles throughout works of supernatural that cannot be explained by science or by humanity. And so when we look at this, they're saying there's a, a, an unusual amount of miracles does not, in my mind, um, suggest that it is a parable. So I think we need to be careful uh, with such skepticism, or we at least should give pause before saying that it is improbable. Number two, in response to the literary artistry of Jonah, uh, it would be accurate to say that hyperbole, irony, wordplay, those kinds of things are more common uh, 
in parables and in poems and stuff like that than they are in historical writings, but they're not exclusive to such things. In fact, you can find such things in historical documents. And lastly, number three, the supposed historical errors or inaccuracies, they really ultimately have held little to no water um, when you really break them down, and they ultimately have found, been found to be very unpersuasive. And that's just not my, um, not my research, but also the research of many um, great scholars as well who've done research on the matter. But above all that, I think perhaps the greatest defense of the historicity of Jonah comes from the mouth of Jesus himself. In Matthew 12, he says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered Jesus, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But Jesus answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So I think out of all those things, that argument really trumps everything else. From the mouth of Jesus, we see a recounting of the story of Jonah. With that said, we're going to jump into all these prophetic books in the, in the near future here. What exactly is a prophet? Right? What do they do? What, 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 is, a, what is a prophet uh, job entail? What is their job description, I guess? Uh, prophets, number one, were used to reveal the nature and attributes of God. So we see this several times with Moses, who was a prophet of the, to the Israel, uh, to nation of Israel, excuse me. Uh, in Leviticus 19, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So the attribute attested to God in this case is holiness. Number two, prophets were used to reveal the law of God, right? What, the, what God's demands were, what his expectations were of his people. In Exodus 20, you find that Moses wrote down all the commands that God had given to his people, these laws for which all the people were to abide by. Number three, prophets were used to call people back to repentance and return to God. And so many times throughout Scripture, we see that the Israelites are, are turning away from God, they're walking away from God, worshiping idols, they're living in sin, and the prophets that God sends are calling them to repentance and calling them back to God. In Second Chronicles 24, it says that they abandoned the house of the Lord, their God of their fathers, and served the ashram and the idols, and wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this guilt of theirs. Yet, being God, he sent prophets among them to bring them back to the Lord. These testified against them, but they would not pay attention. And that brings us to our last point. Prophets would bring warning of God's coming judgment to rebellious people. This is why most of the prophets were not very popular among their peers. They usually had negative messages that they were bringing forth to the people of Israel about their coming judgment. And so they were often placed in prison. Many were hated. Some were even killed for giving the words of God to the people. But Jonah has this unique calling placed on his life from the Lord. He's a prophet himself. But the Lord, interestingly, isn't calling Jonah at this time to go to his own people. With all the other prophets, you see them preaching and giving word to the Israelites. But in Jonah's case, he's called to go to another people. He's called to go to the Gentiles in Nineveh. Now, in reading through the book of Jonah, it can be easy to look at the story and focus on the human characters that are found in the narrative, right? We can say, don't, you know, don't be like Jonah, be like the sailors, be like the Ninevites. Um, but while there's 
While this is true and there's good and bad behaviors modeled for us in this story, we must not fail to see that each character and each chapter uses the actions or words to make some aspect of the Lord's character clear. So in chapter 1 that we're look at this morning, the sailors act as they do because they realize the Lord's sovereign power and grace. In chapter 2, Jonah praises the Lord for being a God who saves. In chapter 3, the Ninevites repent and the response from the Lord shows us that he is a God who relents from sending judgment to those who are truly repentant. And in chapter 4, Jonah's words make clear that the Lord is a God who is merciful and forgiving. And it's also emphasized that he is a God who has love for all people, including Gentiles. So the story of Jonah is one of the most unique, it's one of the most amazing stories found in Scripture. And it's one that reveals the very character and nature of God. A heart that is filled with love and compassion for lost people. And it shows us this morning that God is a God who gives people a second chance. So with that said, I'll let you turn to the book of Jonah. Uh, We're going to look at chapter 1 this morning. Jonah chapter 1. We'll have the, the words on the screen as well to follow along that way if you'd like. So beginning in chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship in the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Then he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it is because of me that the great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode harder to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done it as you pleased." So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So the first aspect of the story speaks of running from God, right? Verse 2 also does not exaggerate when it calls Nineveh that great city. It was one of the oldest cities in the world at the time, and it was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. If you're not familiar with the Assyrians, they were a hostile enemy of Israel, well known throughout the land for their brutality, especially in war. 
It was known that many of their captured enemies would use this large hook and pierce it through the nose and come out of the mouth of their uh, captured enemies and they would drag them behind horses until they died. Um, they were not nice people, so we can probably in one sense empathize with Jonah in this regard. He goes, oh yeah, you're going to go to these people who are hostile against the Israel nation and you're going to preach to them that the God of Israel is coming down on them. That's not going to bode well <laughs> for one uh, Hebrew man in a city of thousands of people that are hostile towards them. The Assyrians were, were also a crucial tool in the hands of the Lord in judging the northern tribes of Israel. God used the Assyrian um, empire to bring his people back to himself. So verse 2 gives us the command of God for Jonah to go, or to arise, and go to this Gentile and also hostile city of Nineveh. Verse 3 shows us the insubordination of God's elected prophet. It says, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now I imagine in Jonah's sense, you know, he's just kind of minding his own business. God calls him to this, uh, to Nineveh, the city that uh, is well known among um, all people who are enemies of the Assyrians and says, you're going to go here, you're going to preach uh, judgment upon them unless they repent. And uh, that's what I'm calling you to do. And, <laughs> you know, he's probably wondering, why am I going here, right? These people are brutal, they worship idols, they, they have no uh, sense, they defy the true God. You know, I don't want to do it. <laughs> that's, I, that's, that's his mindset right now. And so one of the lessons that we can glean from the book of Jonah is this, though, is that God cares for all lost people. And this is ultimately confirmed in the New Testament in the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross. Right? And this, this, this sacrifice of Jesus was not just for his followers. It wasn't just for Israel. It was for all people. We see that later on in his uh, commission to send his believers to all parts of the earth, not just to Israel. <laughs> Now, Jonah's struggle in one sense can also be our struggle, right? The Ninevites are long gone today, but the sin of the Ninevites are still on the streets. There's still violence, there's still hatred, there's still crime, vulgarity, there's still blasphemy against God. We wrestle with taking the gospel to certain people just like Jonah did, right? And God calls us to do something and said, oh, I'll go take the message of these people. They may not agree with me, but they're kind, they're friendly, you know, they're, they're welcoming enough. And though we may disagree, we'll disagree kindly. But I don't want to go to these people, God. They, they're already, they're already uh, angry with me. They, are, they already slander my name. I don't want to go to these people. And so we, in our own minds, too, we already can kind of have these people as saved, unsaved, without really giving them a chance. Whereas God sees all people as his children. So what does Jonah do in verse 3? Jonah it says, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now if you're into geography, um, you would understand that Jonah essentially just went the wrong way. It wasn't that he just happened to take a wrong turn on the road and landed up in Joppa instead of Nineveh. Uh, Joppa was in the exact opposite direction of Nineveh from where he was in Israel. Joppa was as far, about as far west as you could go until you'd hit the coast, and uh, Nineveh was exact opposite direction to the east, inland. And so what we come to find out is that this was intentional. Tarshish was, again, as far as you could go on the opposite direction. So what chapter 1 shows us this morning is the life of a person who runs from God. And so if that's you this morning, if that's, if that's something that you can associate with, my prayer is that you would hear this message and that you would stop running from God and run to Him. Now if you're wondering, what does it look like? What does a person look like who runs from God? What, are their, what does their life entail? Um, here's some ways that you can 
see or recognize someone who's running from God. Number one, a person who is running from the call of God on their life will do the exact opposite of what God says, right? The word of God says repent, but they rebel. The word of God says humble yourself. They choose to live in pride. The word of God says purity. They choose promiscuity. If the word says forgive, they choose bitterness. The word of God says have faith, they choose unbelief. They're living really, in essence, the antithesis of God's word. And that's, that's really one way you can tell is that what God's commands and God's law and God's calling for his people are in, the, in, his, in his word. If we see their life not following that path, that's one good way to see that they're running from God. Number two, a person runs from God. When they run from God, they are deceived into thinking they can escape. See, the thing is, the Bible makes it clear that God is omnipresent. So for some of you, that's a comfort, right? That's wonderful to know that God is with me in the midst of all my pain, all my struggles. And for others, you're probably thinking, uh, all the time? <laughs> He's with me all the time? You, you know, yeah, yeah, he sees it. <laughs> we may not see it, but he does. He is with you all the time. Psalm 139 only attests to this further. David says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I send to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is bright as the day, for darkness is light with you. So, <laughs> we may be deceived, we may think that we can run or hide from God, but that is not the case. Number three, the person who thinks that they can run from God are pursuing the things that will lead them astray. Again, look at verse three. It tells us that Jonah found a ship going to Tarshish, which implies that he was looking for one, right? He was looking for a way to escape. He was pursuing the desires of his flesh over the desires of the spirit. Right? I'd rather do this. I don't want to do that. I'd rather do this. And when a person is running from God, it's all about its flesh and its desires. I remember when God called me to go to the Honor Academy in Texas. I wanted nothing to do with it. Okay, I already had a, a room set up with one of my close friends to go to Liberty University. Um, and so I was like, oh, I, just, I think I'm going to go there instead. I knew God was calling me. It was kind of like Jonah in a sense. Or I was like, just turned my back and went the other direction. Uh, then I found out you know, certain uh, grants and certain... Uh, financial aid fell through and it was going to cost too much and this other so I was going to go to another school that school you know denied me another school it was too late to apply for and all of a sudden all my doors were closing and God was pushing me back uh, to the Honor Academy in Texas which fortunately is where I met my wife so he knew what he was doing um, <laughs> in the midst of my own selfishness um, but a lot of us live in this way too we pursue the things that can lead us astray you know, and we, this, this, this mindset, too, that if I just get that one thing that I desire, I'll be happy, right? If I just get that promotion at work, if I just get that new toy or, you know, whatever it is, fill in the blank in your own life. If I just get that and fill in the blank. But you see, the shine of the desires of the flesh will soon wear off, and we're back to where we started, right? Even when we get those things, it's great for a time, but then we desire something else once more to fill that void. And then the truth of this is this, that if you're not running toward God, you are running toward the flesh. You're going to be running towards one or the other in your life. 
Romans 8, 5-8 says, But those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And this is what happens with Jonah here, right? He is motivated by his flesh. He's motivated by fear. He's motivated by many things, but not by the Spirit. And another thing is that when we run from God, the enemy, in essence, will always have that proverbial boat waiting, right? We see that with Jonah. He finds what his flesh seeks. Some may even try to persuade themselves, right? There's a boat waiting. Maybe God is calling me to this after all, right? You know, uh, let's think about this here for a minute. You're openly disobeying God by fleeing in the opposite direction of where he's called you. Do you really think that boat is from God? (laughs) That's the USS Satan. You don't want to board it. (laughs) Run from it. Not all open doors are necessarily from God. We have to use sound judgment and discernment of the Holy Spirit. So when someone runs from God, they do the exact opposite of what God calls them to. They are deceived into thinking that they can get away with it, and they pursue the things that will lead them astray. And lastly, this is an important one, there is always a price to be paid. In verse 3 again, it says, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord, he went down into Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. And it says, so he paid the fare. In this essence, he is paying with money, but I'm not just talking about a price to be paid with money. Look at Galatians 6, 7-8. through 8. It says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Right? There's always a price to be paid. So whatever decision or choices we make, There are consequences to them. Whether they're good consequences or bad consequences, there are consequences. We will reap what we sow. James tells us that to uh, be in the flesh, it brings forth death. Now, some people may pay the price in their marriage if they're living in the flesh. They're living selfishly and for their own benefit. Some people may pay the price with their health. Some may pay the price with their self-respect. And sadly, some may pay with their witness to those in the world. But regardless of what it is, we pay a price uh, in our disobedience and in our um, willingness to walk in the flesh or walking away from God. But number two, there's hope in this story as well. Uh, A point I want to key on this morning is that God also uses our mistakes or our sin. The first chapter of Jonah certainly shows us our human tendency to run from God as well as the consequences uh, that stem from rebellion. And the first, Jonah, the first chapter of Jonah also shows us that God uses our mistakes. Let's read through verses 4 through 16 once more. It says, the Lord, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each one cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. And so it tells us that the captain comes to Jonah and asks, you know, first of all, I don't even know how he's sleeping in the midst of the storm. It's pretty impressive. Um, But anyway, he's sleeping through it. So they wake him up and they say, what is going on here? Tell us what's happening. And eventually they cast lots to see whose fault it is. And casting lots was a very common thing. We see it in the New Testament as well. Uh, When Jesus is is on the cross, they're also casting lots for his robe. Uh, It's just something that they did in ancient times. And so the lot falls on Jonah. And so he says, yes, you know, I... I am uh, a Hebrew, and I worship. And f- interesting, he says he fears God, even though he's running from God. Um, but he says, I, f- 
fear the God, and he, he created the heavens, he created the earth, he created the waters, and these men are frightened now. And so they're trying to figure out what they need to do, and Jonah says, throw me overboard. And they say, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to try to get back to, to land first. It fails, so they, they eventually give in to Jonah's request or demand, throw him into the water, and the water stops. And these men are fearful of God. It says that they, they make these vows to him. They, they make sacrifices to him, to God. And it's, it's really a pretty impressive story. But number one, the point of all this is that God uses our mistakes to reveal his glory. That's a really an amazing aspect of God is that he's able to use our weak points in our life to reveal himself, not just to us, but oftentimes to others around us. Now, that's not to say I recommend that you keep running from God because oh, he's just going to use me anyway. He's going to use these mistakes in my life anyway. Remember, there are consequences. There is a price to be paid for doing that. But God is able to use the situation at hand for his glory. In the case of the story of Jonah, we see that God utilized Jonah's direct disobedience as a way to reveal his glory to the sailors. You know, think about the story for a minute. These sailors, maybe in some other aspect in life, God would have brought someone else along to them and they would have uh, been revealed to uh, God of the universe in another way, but in this instance, God used Jonah's insubordination for them to be, um, to be revealed to these sailors. These were pagans. It's revealed in verse 5. They each had their own God that they were crying out to. So they did not yet know the true God, Yahweh, the God of creation, the God of heaven and earth. And so Jonah gives this quick declaration of who the true God is in verse 9. And it's, they seem to believe, but it's really not until verse 16 when the glory of God is even further revealed that they place their full faith and allegiance with God. So God's glory was revealed in the storm on the sea. But furthermore, God's glory was revealed to them in the calm of the storm. See, an unexpected storm is one thing, right? They, they kind of pop up. I lived in Florida, and um, even if it wasn't on the radar, well, we live up here, it's pretty unusual. You don't know what you're going to get. It says no 0% chance of rain while it's thunderstorming outside. So, um, But, you know, these, these little pocket storms, if you want to call them that, just kind of come up out of nowhere, and, and that can happen. And certainly, when you're on the seas, it's, it can happen more commonly as well. Um, so that wasn't such a surprise to the sailors, but then to see it immediately calm after jo they do what Jonah commands them to do just further confirmed what they were beginning to believe about the God of Israel. Now number two, God uses our mistakes to lead others to know him better. So this is kind of similar, but a little bit different as well. Not only is God's glory revealed to the sailors in our story, the very truth of him is revealed to the sailors. They did not know him before the storm, but they certainly knew him after. And God can use our mistakes to bring others in closer relationship to him. However, it is important to understand, guys, that our failed witness can also push people from God. Okay, so we have to be very careful that we're not living in direct obedience because, you know, God can use it. There are instances where the way we live our life can push people from God. But Jonah understood his mistake in the story. He knew that he could no longer run without his... Um, his consequences causing collateral damage, right? These, these sailors were going to die with him if he continued to live in disobedience. So he reveals the true God of all creation to the sailors and commands them to throw him overboard. So in essence, in this part of the story, he is admitting his mistake before God and accepting the consequences of his rebellion. And in doing so, it does two things. Number one, it reveals the God of Jonah to be the true God of the universe to these sailors, and it leads them to know him. And number two, as we'll see next week, it reveals to Jonah himself the very nature of God's grace, right? He could have drowned he could have died. As Romans 6.23 tells us, the wages of sin is in fact death, but God's grace allowed him to survive and be given a second chance at obedience. 
And number three, lastly, as we'll see in greater detail next week, God uses our mistakes to deepen our prayer life. Right? He uses our mistakes to push us towards him to grow in prayer. We see it briefly with the sailors in verse 16. Right? It tells us they made sacrifices and vows to God. They prayed that uh, they wouldn't be held in judgment for throwing Jonah into the ocean. So they make this verbal commitment and, and display outward faith as well. Now, in this case, it wasn't their mistake that drew them to prayer with God, but the mistakes of Jonah. In Jonah 2, we see that it is also Jonah who is drawn to deeper prayer because of his mistakes. Now, as a parent, I feel I am much more apt to go into prayer than I was beforehand. Why is that? It's because I make a lot more mistakes now. <laughs> as a parent, I mess up a lot. My weaknesses tend to make a grand appearance at the worst possible times. If you're a parent, you might relate. You know, I lose my cool. I don't display Christ to my children in many cases, they see it, I see it, and certainly God sees it. But the Spirit has a way of gently revealing to me my sin and my pride, my selfishness, or my anger, whatever it is that's rearing its head up. And when that happens, so often I am humbled and I'm brought to my knees in prayer. You know, I'm just repentant. God, I am so sorry. Apologize to my children or to my wife, whoever it is that I've wronged. But in those times of living in the flesh, the Spirit can draw us back into prayer with God. If you're here last week, you may recall that we went through Romans 8. And in verse 26, it tells us that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And Romans 8 also tells us that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And all things, that certainly includes our victories, but all things also include our failures. So it includes our high points, it includes our low points, that God is working all things together for good, which means that he can use our mistakes to reveal his glory. He can use our mistakes to lead us into closer relationship with him and even draw us to prayer. And the last point I want to give this morning is that God's grace gives second chances. Look at, let's look at verse 17 here. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Well, you're the first read that verse, you're like, that's not much of a second chance. <laughs> you know, he got swallowed by a fish. I'm sure Jonah probably was hoping to die rather than go back, you know, and give a second chance to go to Nineveh. You're still going to Nineveh, by the way. <laughs> well, shoot, I was hoping I was going to die. Um, <laughs> didn't want to go to Nineveh. But we see God's grace in this, and then it's further, furthermore revealed in Jonah's prayer in chapter 2, which we'll look at next week. But it also leads to something incredible in the city of Nineveh. And what this passage reveals to us further is the incredible grace and love of God. We see several times that second chances are given in the book of Jonah. Number one, the sailors, right? Jonah gave them an answer to calm the storm. They said, throw me overboard. But they refused at first, right? They said, we're going to try to get you to shore. We're going to try to make it through the storm. And it wasn't happening. It actually got worse. And so it's really a miracle in and of itself that the, that the uh, ship did not break in that moment. God gave his grace and allowed them uh, to keep them alive in the opportunity to obey. Number two, we see grace in Jonah's life. His overt disobedience was deserving of a far greater consequence than what he received. But God kept him alive by his grace and allowed him the opportunity to obey as well. And lastly, with the Ninevites, number three, we're going to see their fate next week, but God's call to Jonah to preach to the city of Nineveh, and, and, you know, a very large enemy of God's people. And to preach to them in and of itself shows us that God was willing to withhold their deserved judgment if they would just repent and turn to him. And this is really the key point, guys, this morning. If you're going to get anything, it's this. That grace is something we're so quick to accept, but we're so hesitant to give. Right? Someone hurts us, we don't want them to receive grace. They need judgment, right? You know, just smite them down, Lord. <laughs> 
But in our own lives, when we hurt somebody else, you know, we, we are so easy. It's so easy for us to accept grace, right? We want grace. The truth is, guys, we all need it. We all need grace. Grace in the book of Jonah is really just a foretaste of the grace that was to come. Right? It, was, it was really a foreshadowing of the grace that's found in Christ. Romans 8.5 tells us, But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So that's the key point this morning, guys, is that we all need grace. Without grace, we're without hope. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, but it is the gift of God. So the, great, the same grace that's extended to the sailors and to Jonah in our story this morning is the same grace extended to all of humanity, to each and every one of us. God's grace gives us a second chance at redemption. Sadly, there's people that still see the second chance extended to them and they just say, I don't need it. Or they turn their backs on it. They continue to, to flee from the presence of God, so to speak. But it's very clear in Scripture that we have all sinned and fall short of God's glory in Romans 3.23. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. But by God's grace, that, that verse doesn't end right there. It continues on that saying the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so my hope and prayer this morning is that you see God's love, that you see God's grace in your own life. See, we can live in hope unshakable because of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can live in a joy that surpasses, and in a peace that surpasses understanding because God's grace has covered the cost of sin and death. And so really, the book of Jonah is just a, a furthermore just pointing to the coming king for the, for the Israelites and for us. Jesus' fingerprints are found throughout the entire New Testament, throughout the, all the books of the Old Testament. You can see uh, that it is pointing to redemption through the Son of God. And that redemption, you know, is, is only brought to us or bought for us by grace, right? It says that while we were in the midst of our sin, he died for us. That we were without hope, but God said, you know, you deserve this. You don't deserve it, but I love you. And you're worth it. And so it's just an incredible thing that we can see God's grace, you know, just giving second chances. Jonah is adamantly and openly disobeying God. You know, I'm not going to do this. You know, you can tell me to go there, but I'm not going to do it. And he just completely goes the other way in his life. He completely defies God and runs from him. We see God's grace as well with the Ninevites. I just can't believe these people are... are uh, hostile enemies of God's people and yet God is saying you know what you guys are important too I love all people I'm going to give you a chance to turn to me and so he's giving the Ninevites these enemies of his people a chance to turn to him as well and the thing is we all have that hope we all have that grace extended to us and so my hope and prayer this morning is that if you haven't experienced that grace that you would that you'd open yourself up uh, and allow God to speak to you this morning and if you have experienced that grace, maybe just needing a reminder this morning that there is grace upon your life, that the mistakes that we make um, have been forgiven already, and uh, that there is grace for us, that, that there is hope for us this morning in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this day. Lord, I just thank you that you have chosen to reveal yourself through Scripture. And Lord, I just thank you for the opportunity uh, to come together and study your word, Lord God. And uh, I just thank you that you are a God of miracles, that you are a God of grace and patience. And that, Lord, that you will even utilize our, our sin and our weak points in life for your glory and for your kingdom, God.
Lord, I just ask that we'd be a people, that we would just come together and, and strive to just draw people to you, that we would just be a, a salt and light in this community. Lord, and just uh, give us the opportunity um, to be examples to others, to love others, and just to be mirror images of your love towards us, Lord God. Uh, we just give this day to you. In your name we pray. Amen.